Welcome to another episode of Mama Earth Talk. I'm your host, Maris Canal. Realizing just how much waste we generate on a daily basis, I've set a personal goal not only to reduce, reuse, and recycle, but to also educate the world about sustainability and how each of us can help preserve our beautiful planet. Thanks for listening. Let's dig in. Hey, crazy birds. I hope you guys are doing well and had a super fantastic weekend or week or whatever day you're listening to this. I hope you are doing well. And I just want to check with you guys, like, how are you? Send me a message telling me how things are. And also, if you've got any questions, like the reason why I started this podcast in 2018 was to help you guys and to kind of answer questions that you might have. So if ever you come across something and you're like, oh, how do I recycle this or what alternatives are there for that? Let me know and I'll try my best to kind of help you guys, you know, on this journey. And after all, we are kind of in this as a community together. So yeah, let me know. Would love to hear from you guys. And I also have a few like exciting things that's going to happen in the next couple of months that I am super excited to share with you guys in the upcoming weeks. So just keep listening and keep an eye out for that or an ear out for that. And let's dig in in today's episode. I'm super excited about today's as our guest today is a waste minimization officer at the town of Cambridge. Her work in sustainability and waste minimization brings together so many of her life passions, writing, creativity, and making a difference to people's lives and contributing to a society in a meaningful manner. Over the last couple of years, she's had such an impact in her council, as well as that that ripple effect of change to many others that has experienced her waste minimizational passion. During this episode, we look at some of the challenges a local council face when it comes to waste reduction, but we also look at procedures that's involved in implementing something new. We also dig into some of their waste reducing programs, some even won awards, and we also look at what we can do to kind of help out our community as well as our council. Crazy birds, without any further ado, I would like to welcome Carrie Wright. Thanks so much, Mariska. Thanks for having me. You're most welcome. Carrie, you have got quite an interesting journey and I would love for you to just share with our crazy birds, like how did your sustainable journey actually start? I'd have to go right back to my parents, actually. My parents were war babies, Second World War babies or young children. And of course, in those days, it was waste not, want not. And they were very good and they practiced this all their lives at minimising their waste, maximising their money, their bang for their buck. They always lived by the motto of buy it right and you buy it once and they were masters of invention. So if they needed something, they would look around what what they had in the house and reinvent that into what they needed. So 
I was brought up around that and had living in the country most of my formative years. So I had that sort of backstory happening for me. But more recently, fast forward a long time to my role at WA Police, which was about four years ago. I was a sustainability officer there. It was a role that I really wanted and I managed to secure for one year only. But during that time, I could look at sustainability issues such as carbon footprint. That included water footprint and it would include also waste footprint and worked on initiating some recycling programs like the breathalyzer straw recycling, single-use plastic recycling, all types of things in there. And during that time, looked at the waste world and thought, oh, this is so interesting and it's such a big problem. War on Waste came out at the same time. And my world just sort of got bigger and bigger. And then when I left police, I was looking around for what do I, what do I want to do next? I had come from the registered training organisation, compliance type background and training and assessing and writing programs, a lot of education. And I could have gone back into that. But then this job popped up at Town of Cambridge, two minutes from my home. I thought, that's for me. Here I am. (laughs) Oh, wow. What a journey indeed. And there's just so much waste, like everywhere that once you get into some of these roles and you look at exactly what is going on, especially you're one person, you're in an organization, but it is, you know, sometimes you really need to look at individuals as well. And how do you make them change their habits, which seems to be quite a challenge as well. Definitely. It's a huge challenge. Everyone has that individual and personal challenge and how do we reduce our waste? Some people take it on board and really run with it and it drives them and others develop an apathetic attitude where they believe everything goes to landfill anyway. So you've got the ends of the spectrum. For a council to start to help assist residents to reduce their waste, It always starts with the bins and getting people to understand and maximise what they can uh, pop into their bins. So reducing what goes in the red litter bin, the landfill bin, increasing their opportunity to recycle by what goes in the recycling bin, but also reducing contamination. So there's a lot of education Mm. and um, base understanding on the processes, the recycling processes that those bins go through when they go to the material recovery facilities or the MRFs, and then also the green waste bin, whether that's a green waste or a food organics and green waste bin, understanding what can go in there. So it all comes comes back to those bins and a really good understanding of what goes in and what processes are applied to those bins once they're collected. That's quite a quite a journey. And I mean, that's really like touching on what I wanted to check with you or well ask you is as like kind of your role as a waste minimization officer at the town of Cambridge. And for all of our crazy birds that do not know where town of Cambridge is, it's actually a local council in Perth, WA. That's kind of what I was wondering because, you know, I get so many questions from our crazy birds asking like, what does our council do to reduce our waste? And like, how do we talk to each other to make it make this process a little bit smoother? So like, we've just talked about the bins, but like, where like, do you guys actually start to reduce your council's waste? I guess the first thing, the first thing, it's all driven by policy. So policies need to be looked at. What are the current policies? Do they support 
that waste minimisation? Do they support the variety of recycling options that our residents need? But it's not just that. We can have all the policies we like, but we need to have the recyclers on board. So when we look at our contracts and the material recovery facilities or the MRFs, as I mentioned, what capacity does the MRF have to recycle? What are they bailing and selling? Mm. Where are those markets? So it really is a huge strategic and high-level process that has to go through. Coming down to the residents, though, it really has to be about those bins and the grassroots. So if we're putting in uncontaminated recycling and green waste, we get a better product out the other side and therefore the value of that product is higher for those recyclers. So it then pays them back to then continue that process. So it's that circular type of uh, arrangement that they have within their MRFs for the green waste and the recycling. The landfill goes to landfill. We, we can't interrupt that yet until the energy from waste plants start up. That's a whole different kettle of fish, which I don't really want to <laughs> go into. We could do a whole podcast on that. Oh, wow. And mostly most, most councils don't even have that in place. It's more a regional council thing right now. So, yeah, it starts with policy. That policy drives action, of course. Mm. When it comes to like recycling and the faux opens and everything where people can actually have their green waste or garden or organic waste, we need to take a step backwards and also realize that these programs are a lot of the time, especially with recycling, it's a business. The people are only going to take what they can sell, what they can sell for high value. If if they get a lot of like really crappy plastic that is just, it's so hard to recycle. It, once it's recycled, it's actually worth almost nothing. They're not going to take on those things. So, you know, let's look at buying products that, first of all, can actually either be reused or refilled and then move into, you know, checking if you're buying something and it has to be recycled. Can it be recycled with your local council? Just look look into that because not everything that you put in that yellow bin, which is our recycle bins, is actually going to be recycled. You know, a lot of the times we are wish cycling and we just wish it can be recycled. So we just need to kind of look into that. Definitely. There is an attitude of I'm going to put it in the bin and it's not my problem Mm. anymore. It's the council's responsibility to recycle, to find something to do with this thing that I don't want anymore. I don't want it, therefore I want it out of my life. It doesn't happen like that. Usually MRFs have a strict guideline of what they can take and what they can't take. And contamination is a huge problem. And it's not just contamination with what might go in the bin, like we don't have, as you know, soft plastics going into our bins. But some people still tie their rubbish up or their their recycling up in soft plastic bags Mm. and then put them in the recycling bin, hoping that someone's going to rip it apart and then that will be recycled. It just doesn't happen like that because... The facility can't cope with that. It might be that or it might be the the milk containers that are put through. They still have milk in them. They still have their lid on them. They've gone mouldy for some reason. Sometimes they do make it through to the bale. And if that bale is selected for inspection by someone who or a, a, a company that wants to buy that and they slice that bale open and they see contaminated plastic, they'll reject that bale. They may even reject all of the order. 
So we need to make it as easy as possible for our recyclers to actually exist in this world. If they can't sell that product, they're not going to be there for us. Our recycling system falls apart. I mean, obviously that's doom and gloom and, and that would be, it's not going to happen over one milk bottle, but it's the, it's the principle behind it. We all need to do whatever we can within our means to make that recycling stream as clean and contaminated as possible. Definitely. And I mean, there is a lot of back-end work that actually needs to be done when a new program is being introduced. Like I know some of the councils here in Western Australia is introducing like the new FOGO bin. So we're going to do food and organic waste in one bin. Some is just accepting organic waste at this moment. How long does it normally take like from where you guys as a council, have an idea and you want to start thinking about things to where it's actually implemented? What is kind of the process? Because we get a lot of people like some of our listeners that's like, you know, I want change and I want it now. I, you know, write one letter to your council Mm. and you expect it to be done in the next like week. Like, yeah, just take us through that so we can have a better understanding of like what it takes. Okay, firstly, an idea might come in from, let's take an idea from a member of the public or one of our residents. I had one recently where someone called me and said, I want you to change the packaging laws so that they don't sell cardboard with plastic windows. That is not something I can even affect. It is a law. It's not a local council thing. It's a a countrywide thing. It could be an international thing. So it's about looking at what, what is it you want and applying that pressure that you actually have as a consumer to the packaging covenant, to the people that you're buying that from, whether it's a supermarket or a direct, directly from the manufacturer or to the government through your local member, looking at what it is that you want and applying the pressure within your realm because we can only affect in the council our local residents and our policies and and our recycling and education options. So for us, in terms of back-end work, it really depends on the program, on the things that we can actually affect. So for, for example, for FOGO, food organics and garden organics, the lead time on that will be about two years. The reason being we need to have a contract in place. We need to have an end destination that's vetted. We need to have an idea of what we're going to do with that compost that's going to be created from the food organics and garden organics. We will need to do a huge education program leading up to it so that we can make it, we can reduce the contamination. We know that there will be a lot of contamination because of what we see happening in other councils. So watching, I'm watching really, really carefully to see what the problems are and how I can engineer that out before I even start thinking about the education program. It will inform what that might be. And then, of course, the education program, this is coming, this is how it's going to work. There will be a lot of complaints. So betting, doing FAQs, training our front desk staff on how to handle that. There will need to be the rollout of bins for people who don't have a green organics bin yet. Then after that, there will need to be auditing. So we do like three different programs of auditing to give people feedback. Again, there will be a whole raft of complaints coming in about that because people don't like other people going through their bins and we will need, I'll need to manage that as well. At the same time, there needs to be, uh, well beforehand, well before this even starts, 
I need to do a financial modelling program, run a, run a program to work out what the costs are going to be, work out a budget for it, do a, a council report to inform the elected members and get that through council, get it approved before I can even start to go out to contract. Wow. So That's a lot. <laughs> it's huge. We've got to write policies and procedures. It's huge. I'm dreading it, <laughs> but oh, I'm looking gosh. forward to it at the same time. Yeah. We, we all, all Perth Peel councils have to have it in by 2025. It will be a game changer. We will be able to meet those targets from the that the state government has set for us. We will find we will be able to meet those targets, and the only way we can meet those waste diversion targets will be through Fogo. Wow! Introduction of Fogo, but a lot of people are asking for it. There are lots of things that they can do in the meantime. They're not helpless, or it's not hopeless. There's a lot of lot of different avenues you can direct your food organics to, or, or through. So I work with residents to educate them about that while we're waiting and planning and processing what I have to do to get FOGO up and running here. But it will happen. So it's a huge process. But in terms of the smaller things, so the pool cover recycling program, that took about a year to get up and running simply because it had never been done before and I had a lot of research to do and a lot of networking. So that took about a year. But I've run programs where I've had an idea one month and I've got it up and running within a couple of weeks because it's low cost, high impact. I just run it as a trial to see what the appetite is. And if it's taken up by the local community, then I just roll it out and and amp it up. So it could be as simple as two to three weeks or it could be as long as two to three years, depending on cost and complexity. So if our crazy birds want to get some change in their council or community or wherever they are, I mean, you know, have a chat to to your local council members and see maybe they are already working on that. It just takes some time to actually roll out. And I mean, you guys have a lot of like active programs and everything. And I have to say that I'm literally one street away from being in your council. So I I wish we can just like move it with one road and I'd be in there. But yeah, you guys just have like so many different waste minimization projects and like activities. What are some of those projects that you started that your council members can actually use now? Firstly, anyone can use them. We do have, the council has a policy of of local first, but me, myself, I'm also one street away. I don't live in the town of Cambridge. I live in Stirling and I'm right on the border. But we have people from Stirling coming. We have people from Subiaco. So all are welcome, basically. Huge waste minimisation program. There wasn't much when I got here. I've been here two years and we had Charity Day and E-Waste Day. I think it was once, maybe twice a year. So that was the basis and I looked at that. I've expanded that. We do those three times a year now. Those programs are expanded so that the Charity Day is not just clothing anymore. It's anything that you can find in an op shop is welcome. So furniture, e-waste, or it's not e-waste, electronics, working electronics, anything you can find at an op shop can be brought now. So that's been expanded and rolled out to three times a year. E-waste is now three times a year as well, but it's expanded to include a charity truck to take working electrical items and electronic items. Another council first for, uh, for WA, perhaps Australia, I haven't done the research wider, is to have a data destruction unit here so that people who 
don't bring or ordinarily won't bring their devices because they're worried about the data can come and bring them and have it destroyed in front of their eyes so that they can be secure in the knowledge that their data won't be accessed by someone and used maliciously. So what I've done is taken the programs that were originally here and expanded them. But then I've added other ones. One of the things I put in very quickly was a wardrobe refresh day, sort of like a clothing swap, but it's not a swap. You can bring whatever you want. You take whatever you want. The adults is four times a year. The children is twice a year, basically to do with sizings and and seasons. They're very popular and they're a lot of fun. We have people from all over the place from up in the hills, from down south and up north. They come with suitcases and hang them all up on the racks and it's a lovely community feel. So that's another one. The whole idea of the wardrobe refresh day was to interrupt fast fashion, to give people an option other than going and buying cheap stuff from, from, the, from the shops for that season. Just come to the wardrobe refresh day and grab whatever you need for that season from us for free without limitations and it's so much fun and then on the way to work one day I was thinking I've been donated these ball gowns from an op shop that I do social media for and they'd called me and said look we've got all these ball gowns donated they take up valuable floor space and we can't really sell them can you find a home for them and I I tried and tried I'd offered them to Clontarf Aboriginal College and different schools around the place and no one was interested. And then I thought, you know what, it's like a form of fast fashion, but expensive fast fashion, Mm. something people buy for one event and then they put it in the cupboard and they don't get rid of it because it costs them so much that they couldn't possibly, yeah. So I thought, right, okay, I'll talk to the library. So I went down to the library and said, this is my idea. We have a, a gown library at the library where people can come and borrow a gown with a bar, you know, barcoded out and they they then don't have to go and buy their mother of the bride dress, their ball, get ball dress, their, their dress that they would wear to a wedding. And we've got so many beautiful gowns in there now that might be a school ball gown or it might be a mother of the bride type gown very well used and it's a little bit exciting to see people posting their photos of their gowns that they borrowed from the library it's very novel Um, so that's another one I've put in talked about the drop-off days so we've got the pool cover recycling program which we'll talk about in a bit but well we can talk about it now I mean you guys actually won a the way sorted awards for it for like innovation of the year and it's just like such a great project. So first on, well done and a massive congrats on that. So yeah, let's talk about it. Like tell us more about it. Well, what happened with that, how that one all started, I just started with the with the town and driving around. Now, I used to love Virtu Collections as a member of the public. You know, I, I loved just going around having a look at what was on the verge. But as someone who's working in waste, I dreaded it. Uh, It was six months of the year of stuff everywhere, complaints constantly coming in, so much illegal dumping and so much going out on the verge. And I remember driving around going, look at all these pool covers. They're going into landfill. There's there's no option for them. So that's where I started. Okay, what are they made of? Uh, What condition are they in? What are the issues with this plastic? 
who can I talk to about this? So that took ages to find the right people to talk to. Then once I had that, I then needed to find a recycler who would talk to me. So I eventually found one of those. And I needed someone who was hungry, you know, new in the market, hungry for something different, someone who wasn't thinking within a box, thinking outside the box. So I found um, a recycler. And so I worked with the, the pool cover um, people who I initially found who would speak to me, then the recyclers and then another recycler. And together we created this, this program. So I started off with a trial pool cover drop-off day, advertised it just through social media and spreading it onto some of the uh, Facebook pages that I'm on. We had people coming hundreds of miles on a round trip to bring their pool covers for recycling because they couldn't bear for it to go into landfill. Because, of course, you know, we're anticipating it takes over a 1,000 years to break down and then it just goes into microplastics. Yeah. So people see that this is a huge problem but they had no option at that time. So suddenly there was this option and they were really, really keen. So we had, had about 50 people coming and they brought multiple blankets so other people had given them their blankets and they made the trip down. And we collected about two square kilometres of pool plastics. Now, they were then chipped down into or flaked down, pelletized, combined with there are huge pipes up on the mine sites that, that funnel water or carry water around the sites, and they have to be swapped out every five to ten years, depending on their condition and what they're made of, and they're shipped down to or not shipped, yeah, possibly shipped, transported to Perth, then they are also chipped down and palletized. And then the combination of those two are made into, it's made into builder's film. So the plastic that goes under the slab to create an impermeable layer between mm-hmm. the soil and the concrete, that's what our pool covers are made into at present. Oh, wow. So that way they don't have to kind of use virgin plastic materials to lay that in. That's so great. That's a great initiative. It's also sold through Bunnings, so you can buy the same film through there. So it, it was very, very exciting. And now I've expanded that because we had a, um, and our Perth-based listeners would know that there was a company called Green Batch, not-for-profit, collecting plastic such as milk lids and uh, meat trays, things, problematic sizes and colours and types of plastic. Now, they are no longer functional but it's left a bit of a vacuum, a bit of a hole in the in recycling options for our residents. So I've expanded the pool cover recycling program to a plastics drop-off day. So now people can drop off. If it's plastic, it can come to us. So it could be garden chairs. It could be car seats. This is another one of my bugbears. I know that there's a stewardship program in development, but I'm seeing them out on the verges all the time because people don't know what to do with them. Yeah, You can bring them to the yeah, you can bring them to the plastics drop-off day now. We have numbers one, three to seven. We've got problematic plastics to the side, plant pots, you name it, they will collect it. Soft plastics, yeah. So we expanded that into a trial, which we did in June. And we're doing another one in September. So we'll just refine the process to make it as easy as possible for us and for the recyclers. There's a lot of workshops that I run. Usually those are behavioural change or or educational workshops. 
If I can offer a rebate on something, I will offer that rebate in conjunction with education so that people can be informed prior to purchasing something and make sure that they can optimise how they use it and troubleshoot for themselves or have someone to come to if they have a problem with it. So we've got an organics one this weekend for that for that very reason. Art workshops, repurposing things that might be otherwise rubbish like making rag yarn out of old sheets and T-shirts and they're from there making rugs and bowls and hanging baskets. So I did a program on that. Mosaic workshops from um, chipped and broken China but, and then a kintsugi workshop to help people put it back together those chipped and broken pieces yeah. of china that they that are valuable to them uh, for some reason. I love that. It's it's really so important to like, you know, have all of this. The town of Cambridge actually have also regular repair lab days that encourage people to also fix broken items rather than putting it in a landfill, taking it to recycling and for all of our crazy birds that's actually never really experienced what is a repair lab. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. It's a, it's a great event, actually. I run them about six times a year, so every two months. It's staffed by volunteers, so I have people who have that interest in repairing things. We have in the mix there will be handymen, there's a couple of electricians, there's a electronic engineer that comes intermittently, but he comes and he's very well sought after sewing people there are knitters and crocheters who repair things there's a jewelry repairer so we it depends on the day who's going to be there but basically we've generally got people that cover those realms of of uh, work and is there any costs involved or is it like no free? no no all <laughs> people I do encourage it's totally free I do encourage people to register because if they're bringing tricky items or they're bringing things that we may not have the materials to fix generally, I then can forward whatever it is onto the people who I think are going to be there and just say, this is coming, can you just be prepared and let me know if there's anything you need and then I will find that, I'll find whatever it is that they need and make sure it's there for them. So people come, they, they sign in, they register their items Somebody brought 20 or 30 different things in, in a bag. I wouldn't recommend that because it clogs up the system. But just two to three items is, is great and maybe bring more and they're more like to get fixed rather than I really want these fixed. People register then and go up and line up waiting for their turn. Oh, I um, love that. Generally there's tea and coffee and bickies while they're waiting and it's a lovely community feel. A lot of people will say, I, I want to pay, I want to pay for this. I want to how much? And it's donation. You can leave a donation and then that donation is spent on morning tea for the volunteers or to buy materials that they need to replenish their own materials, that type of thing. Oh, that's amazing. So if someone tried to fix their phone yesterday and replace the battery and for some reason the screen's not working anymore, can that be something that I can bring in to the next one? You could, but there's no guarantee that we'll have the right volunteer there oh, okay. for that. I have a, a database of about 40 different volunteers, but it's really up to them whether they can come on that day. Yeah. They'll give it a go. They will give anything a go. But you need to sign a waiver, of course, so that if something happens to that device, 
they're not held responsible. Yeah. But apart from that, they will give most things a go. The electronic engineer would possibly give that a go, but I wouldn't give it to you know, the woodworker, for example. Oh, awesome. Well, I might check with you when he's at the next repair lab and come and join for the day. Something that I always tell people is like a lot of us maybe think there's magical fairies that just make our uh, waste disappear and we don't really care where it goes. But in your case, you actually have an actual fairy, a bin fairy program that I read about. um, And I would love to know more about what is this fairy program. Okay. Uh, It is a little bit flippant, I know. Um, So that was born out of a program that I wanted to run here, which was bin auditing. It is very political and it wasn't the appetite, let's say, at the council to do an audit program for our residents' bins. And I thought, you know, it's a bit of a shame because some people really do want their bins audited. They want to know how they're going. And that's where I thought, well, I can, there's no reason why I can't run that by myself. I can just put a form up and people can register and then I make an appointment go out and see them. We have a cup of tea at their table. They generally have a box of problematic items that they don't know what to do with. We go through those and we talk about recycling the town and what happens to what. It's just a natural flowing conversation. Sometimes they do want me to go through their bins. Other times they just want some help with the problematic items. But it's very free form. It's more about Let's get together and have a chat. So I went to one last week where the lady wanted me to sit and talk with her and her children so that they were all on the same page and getting the same information. Another one late last week was a retired couple who were just very, very keen to make sure they had the right information so that they could then tell their friends what was correct because their friends believed everything went to landfill. So, you know, it's really about, giving people the right information and letting them run with that in any way that they would like to. I love that. And it's really great how the community gets involved. And that's one of the things that I think it's so critical to like get the community involved. And it's so an important aspect, even when we want to reduce our waste, to make sure like everyone's kind of on the same page. And from your perspective, What do you think it actually takes to get that community involved and to make sure we all reduce our waste? My point of view as a local government employee, it's all about persistence from my point of view and not not getting despondent. So persisting in the face of, of some resistance, there's always going to be resistance and there'll always be those comments on Facebook that, that are really negative and actually really disheartening because we do see them and that can affect us as workers. But also to, to not get despondent in the face of, of apathy of some people where we, um, work, I work so hard in this field, I, re, I live it. I live waste minimisation, I breathe it, (laughs) I educate it. Um, My kids are so sick of it. (laughs) But when you're faced with someone who's quite apathetic and and has these beliefs that everything, nothing anyone does makes any difference because it all goes to landfill Mm -hmm. and, and I need to then try and interrupt that apathy and give them the right information when they believe that it's actually the wrong information. So that can be very difficult to navigate at times. So what it takes is is for 
someone like me to not get despondent, to keep working at it because there are all these people who are really keen, who want to know more, who want to assist, who love to volunteer, who get on the phone and ask me, where can I do with this? I don't want to put it in the bin. They lighten my life and my load in, in every way. From the residents' point of view in terms of getting the community involved, and certainly in terms of reducing their waste, it's all about options. So those recycling options, the accessibility of those options, having interesting workshops that might not appeal to one member of the community but really floats the boat of another person like the mosaics workshops or or making jewellery out of old leather jackets, that type of thing, so the creative side. And then having the opportunity for me, to create behaviour interrupting education so where people start to go, hmm, okay, this is how I've always done it, but there are other ways. There is another avenue. Hmm. So it is something, having an education, uh, I used to be a um, secondary teacher, so my parents were educators and I, I did a lot of adult education. So education for me is key, but it's about shaping that information so it's best able to be received by the people receiving it. Exactly. And I mean, there's many challenges that you guys have faced. And I mean, we've kind of spoken about a few already, but like, what what would you say are some of those more challenges that you guys have in getting people to actually reduce their waste? Well, it, it really does all centre around attitudes and behaviours. One of the most important things, I think, is to interrupt the, that cycle of, I, have, I want to be careful here because I don't want anyone to be upset by, by what I'm saying, but I want people to be motivated and actually understand it. But, but there is this attitude out there that even though people have made this decision to, for example, buy a couch or buy kids' toys that break, you know, they, they, will, they, they come into the house, they break or they're buying all this stuff and they don't want it anymore, that even though they've made that decision to bring it in, it's now the council's decision and someone else's responsibility to get rid of it. So what I think is, what I think the most important thing is, is responsibility and taking that responsibility. So if you've made that decision to bring it in and you made that decision to get it out, then you also have a responsibility to dispose of that in the best way possible. That won't be by putting it on the verge and wishing that someone would take it away. It will be about finding a home for it. It might be bringing it down to a charity day. It might be bringing it to an e-waste day. It might be ringing up and saying, I've got a couch. It's in awesome condition. Have you got any suggestions? It might be calling in a couple of charities and saying, will you come and collect all these boxes I've packed up of things that I'm moving and I don't need them? Please take them. But what we find is that people just put it all on their verge and hope that someone else will take it. That was the old way. It's an old way of doing things. It's time to look at what our opportunities are now with social media, buy nothing groups, a Facebook marketplace, Gumtree or the equivalent. Yeah, I mean, there's so many options. And I mean, with the like buy nothing group, that's I find fantastic because so many times like when I walk past something that someone's put out on the verge, I immediately take a photo, put it on my local buy nothing and just like, hey guys, saw this, or, you know, you see other people has already maybe posted it and you're like, oh, you know, it's already on there. Just so that people know that, you know, this is available. If you need it, come and get it. And 
So there's so many ways that we can try and help to reduce our waste. And for our crazy birds out there, like kind of what can we do to help out our councils more? Like what 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 is our role? Like, can you help us help you? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I think the first thing is be informed, find out what the most up-to-date information is and make sure that is the information that's going out. The, the misinformation I see on social media where people were saying this, there's no point in recycling because it all goes to landfill or I initiated a new type of verge collection within the town and I see comments saying it all goes to landfill and the council's, you know, really fallen down in introducing this. It doesn't all go to landfill. Find out the information. Listen to what we're saying. We're not, we're not greenwashing. I can't greenwash. I will tell you the truth. Give me a call. Find out about it and discuss it rather than just making assumptions. I think that I'm not saying your people would do that because they're obviously already into this world of recycling and they're very open-minded, but it does happen. So one, if, if your crazy birds are informed, they can then challenge those but, uh, thoughts and attitudes that are happening out there and go, no, actually, I've spoken to someone about this and you are not correct. This is actually what happens. So being informed and, and spreading information rather than information would be just so wonderful. But I think if there's one thing that someone could do, it would be rethink shopping habits and challenge those behaviours. And every time you pick something up, say, do I really need this? And is there another alternative that is more environmentally and earth-friendly? So that's probably the base, that's the starting point, finding out that information and then choosing to rethink the way we do things and challenge ourselves. Oh, that's amazing. And definitely something that, you know, our crazy birds can like look at and walk away with feeling great to actually be able to to do something more. So Kerry, what has been one of your most important decisions that you've made around Mama Earth? I think the single most important decision I made was to move into this area. I mean, I'd always had that background interest uh, and, and my family had done all that waste reducing type behaviour in my childhood and that's come into my, my, my adult years. But two years ago I made a decision to move into the waste field and I feel that it's probably the most important decision because I've been able to affect and effect a lot of change within this area for the residents of this council. Though some, some people are taking it up and they love it and other people don't even know I exist. So it's a constant challenge to get the information <laughs> out there. But I feel like I'm making a difference. Oh, I love that. And you definitely are. I mean, I met you on one of your, like the courses that you guys presented and it was just fantastic. And to see how many people of the councils actually so passionate about it just, mm. yeah, just makes me want to move one road closer to you guys. Great. <laughs> Please come. Yeah, but awesome. <laughs> Kerry, we are now going to move into our final fives. The first one is what is one social media account or publication that you follow? Well, actually, I'm going to give you two. <laughs> so fine. the first thing is uh, I follow most of the zero waste Facebook groups. If there's a zero waste group, I'm on it mostly because then I can give information, I can share my events and get people involved. 
So anything to do with zero waste and plastic-free living. The other thing I follow is a publication. They do have a website as well, though. It's Inside Waste. And there I get the most up-to-date recycling ideas happening around uh, around Australia, not just Perth. So that one is very important for me as well. Oh, awesome. And what is your hope for Mama Earth going forward? I really hope that people just become more mindful. I think mindfulness is the key. If they embrace their inherent responsibility for their actions, rethink what they bring into their lives, choose items with less carbon or water footprint or packaging and embrace their responsibility to dispose and and recycle those items that they no longer need, not just wish cycle, but but actually dispose and recycle mindfully. And what advice can you give our crazy birds this week to actually help out Mama Earth? I think if they could look for one habit or or an assumption to challenge. It's really hard to work out what your assumptions are because you just swallow them up and you believe them. But look for one habit or one assumption. And this will mean different things to different people, of course. For someone at the beginning, it might mean not wrapping something in glad wrap. For others, it might be not assuming you are recycling correctly and maybe organising someone like me to come and and do an audit and discuss the contents. But, But basically, yeah, one habit or one assumption and try and do that each week. And what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people not yet on a sustainable journey? I would say e-waste would be the the fact I would bring up. So e-waste is going is growing at a rate of three times faster than council waste. So it's becoming more and more of a problem. Just about everything in electric in e-waste. Now, e-waste is anything with a cord, a plug or a battery. It's not necessarily computers or phones. It's anything with a cord, a plug or a battery and they're practically 100% recyclable. Everything in your old electronics or e-waste can be made into something new. So don't put them in the bin. Yeah, and I mean, there's so much valuable resources in it. So never put it in a bin to go to landfill at all. Don't even put it in the recycle. It needs to go e-waste, guys, e-waste. That's right. That's right. (laughs) On that point with the recycling bin, people need to remember that recycling bins are for containers that are in the household. So that's kitchen, bathroom, laundry. It's not anything other than the containers. So steel and then your paper course there are always exceptions to the rule and i mean if you are not sure what can be recycled with your local council please do contact them because literally guys what we can recycle here in perth you guys might not be able to recycle like i mean where my sister lives in zambia they don't recycle half the stuff that we can recycle here so it just depends like check with your council and make sure that you are a recycling right person rather than a wish cycle person. Definitely, definitely. And Kerry, where can people actually find you and the council? The town of Cambridge is, there is a Facebook page, very active Facebook page. So look up town of Cambridge, which is a government building, I think comes under. Uh, That's one way. We're also on Instagram and Twitter. Think that covers my other social medias. Uh, there's a website, Town of Cambridge website, and there's a huge waste and recycling section there. Lots of different programs on that. There's a Pinterest board, 
mostly with my stuff in it. It's a town of Cambridge one, but it's it's basically just waste and recycling and ideas and fun things you can do with with the kids, but also with for yourself as an adult. Me personally, you could find me on LinkedIn, Kerry Wright. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm definitely going to link all of that up in the show notes. So Crazy Birds, you can head over there to get all that links and goodies. Kerry, I just want to give you a massive shout out for all the work that you guys are doing. I mean, goodness, like people, if you live in the Perth area, please do come to like, you know, town town of Cambridge and see what they're doing, what they're all about. They really such an example for what a council can do and can actually achieve. So well done for that. I really appreciate all what you're doing. Very kind words. Thanks, Mariska. And thank you so much (laughs) for being on the podcast. I've learned a lot and I'm sure our crazy birds have too. Oh, I hope so. Thank you very much for having me. I really loved it. And that's a wrap. Huge thank you for our amazing guest for being on the podcast and for sharing their journey with us. You can find the show notes of this episode on the mamaearthtalk.com's website. The biggest thank you goes out to all of you crazy birds for listening to the podcast. If you have not already listened to all of the episodes, you can go back to a few of them. You will absolutely love them. I really enjoyed recording every single one of them and I really hope that you enjoy listening to them. There's over a hundred episodes. So if you feel a little bit lost on which one to listen to next, Maybe select one of the episodes with guests that you might want to know more of and start from there. If you enjoy the episodes, why not tell a friend about the podcast and maybe share an episode with them? Let them know that we are here and we are waiting for them with open arms and they are all very welcome to join the crazy birds globally. If you have a question for me, please send them over. The best way to get in contact with me would probably be a DM on Instagram. You can either send it to my personal, which is at Zero Waste Mariska, or the podcast, which is at Mama Earth Talk, or send me an email at hello at mamaearthtalk.com. If there's a particular guest or topic that you would like to hear on the podcast, let me know. I love to hear from all you crazy birds. New episodes are uploaded every second Monday. So make sure to subscribe that you do not miss a thing. Mama Earth has a voice and it's us crazy birds.